0: That Triathlon Show 351. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I interview Christian Chung. Christian is a PhD student and researcher in the Human Performance and Health Research Laboratory at the University of Guelph, Canada. His current research is focusing on the use of cannabis and cannabinoids like CBD in endurance sports. And in this interview, we discuss the evidence for efficacy and safety of CBD and cannabinoids in general, as well as uh, a very important pers- perspective, which is the anti-doping perspective. But before that, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hardation. Precision Fuel and Hydration creates sports nutrition products including fueling and hydration products and they help you use it effectively through a range of free tools, services and content. They have created a fantastic fuel and hydration planner on their website that is a one-stop shop for figuring out an effective race hydration and fueling strategy for you. It's free and super easy to use. It only takes a couple of minutes to answer a handful of questions and then you get a detailed, simple and effective race plan. They also offer free video consultations And as a listener of the podcast, you can get 15% off your order of the range of electrolyte and carbohydrate products by using the code TTS22 at checkout on PrecisionFuelAndHydration.com. And thank you to Zen8. The Zen8 Indoor Swim Trainer is a swim training tool that you can use at home, allowing you to improve your technique, work on power and stamina, and save time and stay consistent. Consistency is one of the most important things when it comes to improving your swimming. But uh, with swimming, it's sometimes just tough to get that consistency going because of the hassle of getting to the pool. Uh, So having a time-efficient way to complement your pool and open water swimming with an at-home type of training is invaluable. In addition, you can use it to do things like swim, bike, brick workouts. And you can work on a perfect core activation and streamline with the help of the built-in instability element of the swim bench. The Zen8 Trainer does not take up a lot of space and it is very affordable, even more so with a 20% discount code that you can get on zen 8 for TTS. It is a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks of using it, send it back and you can get a full refund. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Christian Chung. Welcome to the Dutch Eflon Show, Christian. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to have you. Uh, first, let's start with an introduction. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about yourself and uh, what uh, what you're what you're doing?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So, I'm a PhD student and researcher in the Human Performance and Health Research Laboratory at the University of Guelph uh, here in Guelph, Canada. And my research kind of generally focuses on a wide range of things, but is all under the umbrella theme of just understanding how individuals adapt to training and how different stimuli uh, perturb our physiology. And my main focus is on how cannabis and cannabinoids do so.
0: Yeah, and that is the the topic for today, as listeners will have seen based on the title of the episode. Um, And uh, let's start with just explaining cannabis, cannabinoids, uh, what they are, definitions and so on, and all of the terms that we need to know for uh, the purpose of the rest of this discussion.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I'm sure many of your viewers, having clicked on the uh, podcast here, will be familiar with cannabis, at least to some extent. But um, most people know it as just the recreational drug that's fairly ubiquitous in the world. So um, it's a plant that's often associated with a euphoric high when it's inhaled, ingested, whatever it may be. And within cannabis, there are molecules that are unique to the plant uh, called phytocannabinoids. So um, those are really only found in the cannabis plant. And then we kind of have some related molecules are called endogenous cannabinoids within our bodies. But the general group of molecules associated with the plant would be referred to as just cannabinoids.
0: Yeah. And there are a couple of those that are, um, I guess, the most commonly, uh, the the most interesting ones for the purposes of um, use within athletics and uh, perhaps generally as well. So CBD and THC, Uh, Can can you explain what those are?
1: Yes, that's well said. Those are definitely the two most popular studied ones and talked about ones marketed products out there. So um, CBD is an acronym for the cannabinoid cannabidiol. And that's um, typically either the first or second most abundant cannabinoid within a cannabis plant. Uh, And important about CBD is it has been suggested to have many uh, benefits uh, without actually causing any sort of psychoactive effect. Whereas THC, which is the other most prominent cannabinoid within cannabis, is typically associated with a high. So um, these two cannabinoids have sort of dominated the discussion for within athletics, at least just because of the effects associated with them and how abundant they are within cannabis.
0: Yeah. And uh, so is there anything else we need to know before going into the actual uh, athletic use cases and sporting use cases uh do we need to is there anything else that you can tell us about these uh cannabinoids or cannabis in general about the effects uh, that they have on the human body
1: uh yeah so i guess we'll probably go into mostly specifics that we are uh interested in with other questions but i think one thing that's uh probably important to remember with these cannabinoids is that we don't entirely understand how they act at all the body's different tissues so Um, One thing that I think the listeners should probably keep in mind is that we can talk about the effects that CBD and THC have on the brain, but just to understand that, you know, these might have multi-organ effects that we're still trying to figure out. So uh, I think that's maybe an important big picture thing to keep in mind here.
0: Yeah, yeah. And one more thing before we get into into the athletic use cases uh, and effects, what about the current legislation and obviously this will vary from country to country uh but maybe you can i don't know if you can speak to what is quite common in western countries these days or if it varies maybe you can speak for canada so yeah what what is the legislative nature of cannabis in canada uh can i be noticed like
1: yeah i can certainly speak on canada um so canada is a little bit unique especially compared to other countries because in 2018 so only four years ago Uh, Canada actually uh, legalized recreational use of cannabis and our government actually sells it. So individuals in Canada over the age of 19 can go to a cannabis store in their neighborhood and buy a cannabis product or uh, a specific cannabinoid. And as you might guess, in most of the world, that is not the case. So um, it's a little bit more complicated in the USA. I think they, they have different levels of legislation where it is and isn't legal and it varies by region. Um, so there there are a few select countries and areas where uh, cannabinoids may be perfectly legal for recreational or medicinal use, but um, the, for the most part, uh, this is still a, an illegal drug in the vast majority
0: right yeah so let's get into the uh, f- the effects in terms of an athletic uh, context and use cases uh, so this is something that you have been involved in well one uh, review study that you wrote with your colleagues was called cannabis and athletic performance which is a really good one and uh, open access i believe so i will link to it in the in the show notes so listeners can uh, take a deeper look if they want to but um, i guess if you can uh, start by giving an an overview of uh, what is known about the effects on, uh, of, let's say, let's start with cannabis and THC first, and then we'll go into CBD later. So cannabis and THC uh, in terms of uh, capacity or endurance performance, what do we know about that?
1: Yeah. So I, I before I go into that, I just want to say thank you for pointing that review out. I think um, our goal with writing that review was really to give um, a lot of practitioners, athletes, coaches. Whoever may be interested in the material, really good starting point to understand where these drugs and uh, molecules sit within the context of athletics. So um, I really appreciate you starting there because that's where I, I like to start <laughs> as well. Um, so the the simple point, and I think it becomes really clear when uh, if the listener will find the review, is that there's actually quite, uh, quite or very little research on cannabinoids and exercise performance in the way that many of the listeners might be thinking research might be done. So we have some old studies that look at how uh, cannabis and THC, which I'll remind everyone is the um, psychoactive cannabinoid, affect exercise performance. However, a lot of the literature comes from clinical populations that are really not doing exercise in the way that many uh, recreational or higher level athletes might be doing exercise. So We're talking about patients with coronary artery disease, things like that. And what we generally see in those populations is that uh, exercise capacity is actually reduced with um, prior THC consumption. But again, we don't know too much about how this translates to, you know, athletes who are a little bit more capable because, as you can imagine, uh, a patient who can fail an exercise cycling test at 50 watts versus maybe your average person who's, in failing at a few hundred watts, we have some really different contextual factors to consider. So at the moment, it looks like it's probably not overly beneficial, but again, there's a lot of work to be done in actual populations who might be interested in using this in athletic cases.
0: Yeah. And just a short follow up on that. I don't think we need to spend too much time on this one. But do have any studies been done in terms of physiological parameters, like the mechanisms behind uh, those changes in performance uh, that we know about?
1: Yeah, that, that's a fantastic question. So um, with respect to cannabis and cannabis containing THC, they have generally looked at the physiological response to exercise, once again, in those clinical populations. And there are a few noted physiological effects that we see. And the main one that uh, very consistently comes through in the literature is an increase in heart rate at a submaximal exercise intensity. So if we have someone who uses cannabis or who, say, exercises at 100 watts not using cannabis, their heart rate may be, say, 100, just for examples purposes, and they might see a 20 to 30% increase if they consume cannabis-containing THC thereafter. Now, what is interesting in the review— and uh, keep in mind this is from only one study that's brought people to maximal exercise is that we don't see that the physiological response to maximal exercise is any different. So for whatever reason, the effects of cannabis and THC that we see at some maximal ex- exercise intensity seems to be washed out when we go to higher exercise intensities.
0: Got it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, for the listeners context, we, we kind of brush over this a little bit because uh, as we'll get to later, uh, Cannabis or all cannabinoids, including THC, except for CBD, are actually prohibited by the World Anti Doping Agency. So, um, yeah, it doesn't really matter what the effects are uh, if uh, we can't use it. Uh, But CBD is the one that is not on the prohibited list uh, for in-competition use. So, so CBD is uh, uh, now being marketed uh, a lot more in recent years since that change in uh, anti-doping status. And that is why, well, that is the, uh, the initial reason that I wanted to do an episode on it in the first place. So so let's go into CBD and what we know about the effects of CBD. And it has been marketed quite often to do number of things but we can start with sleep and maybe sleep and anxiety can be lumped together uh what what do we know about that
1: yeah so so um just to provide even a little bit more context i I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head that um sleep and anxiety are probably two of the main reasons that an athlete might be considering using cbd because of those effects being the ones that are marketed on cbd products so um We, I think we know a little bit more about CBD's effects on anxiety and sleep than I would say we do on cannabis and THC on performance. Um, The only thing I'll throw in there is that a lot of the evidence supporting the uh, anti-anxiety and sleep-promoting effects of CBD have come from uh, either animal models of research or preclinical models of research. And there isn't too much human data out there yet, but it does still seem to show some promise. So, CBD does seem to help with um, anxiety that an an experimenter might induce in a study. So they've shown this with public speaking and uh, giving people uh, mental math challenges. Um, And there have been some reports of improved sleep in certain select populations. But I will point out that uh, for the sleep data, there's very little or there's no evidence to my knowledge that did or that it from a randomized control trial with a placebo that shows CBD is beneficial for sleep. So more work to be done in this area, but I would say at least there's a little bit more basis for a benefit in these areas. So um, obviously relevant to athletes, but again, I think uh, what an athlete should think about when considering these benefits is, you know, if it works for them and, you know, potentially some of the other risks that might be associated with CBD use. But I'm imagining we're going to be getting there in a moment
0: yeah yeah we we will I think one thing correct me if I'm wrong if I'm misremembering, but did you also write in the review about the potential beneficial effects on sleep might be more pronounced in in well, I mean this might be obvious, but in people that actually have sleeping issues, like if you have fairly normal sleep, you might not see much of an improvement. Yep, exactly. We did. We did
1: discuss that a little bit. So
0: um, the
1: idea being there and that it's someone who's sleeping well, it's hard to improve their sleep more than uh, someone who has impaired sleep. Um, yeah. And you, so you can be more correct in that. And what I would also say is that um, a lot of these sleep metrics are uh, or that have shown benefits of CBD come on. Uh, subjective sleep scores are what participants report how they sleep and not so much physiological data. So that that's one thing that needs to be followed up on, certainly. But um, a lot of these benefits, to your point, uh, may be more relevant for people who are actually struggling with a problem rather than looking to optimize, you know, normal function, let's say.
0: Yeah yeah that's not necessarily a, a negative though because um obviously people that that struggle with sleep are more likely to seek out something that might help them sleep so um so yeah but that, that, that would still uh, be a valid reason to seek out something that might help them but then again the, the quality of the evidence is maybe maybe a, and the potential uh side effects are is yeah. something you have to weigh against that uh then yeah
1: and uh, absolutely the next... oh sorry i was just going to yes. add one point to that and i think um something you're getting at there is just a a great opportunity to keep in mind of course that you know um any benefits we're talking about here are obviously going to be more relevant once an athlete or whether they be recreational or competitive has all the other things like nutrition training sleep all that aligned so um these benefits although they may exist are probably not going to be necessarily the saving grace so
0: yeah yeah uh the next category of potential um uh benefit potentially beneficial effects of cbd uh is pain inflammation and muscle function so can you talk about that category of effects
1: yeah and i i'm certainly happy to and i think this is i would imagine something that um the listeners might be particularly interested in because i know at least within the research community this area has been really one that uh, people have emphasized looking at so um once again what we've seen from the in vitro and preclinical CBD data is that there's some potential that it may help with pain or experimentally induced pain. And one consistent finding of that seems like a fairly potent anti-inflammatory agent again. Um, so a lot of people have looked at that in the context of athletics because they'll, as I'm sure many listeners will know, uh, there's a lot of popular interventions that aim to reduce inflammation or improve recovery. Um, so this has probably actually been the area where people want to know the most about CBD. So um, I'll speak mostly to the human data because I think that's what people are most interested in, or I would guess people are most interested in. But um, an attractive model to look at the benefits of CBD and recovery has been to basically experimentally induce muscle damage with exercise, and then see how CBD how the administration of CBD can potentially help um, with the subjective perception of damaging exercise or recovery to doing uh, a performance task after that exercise. So I think to my knowledge, uh, there's probably three studies that have looked at actual muscle damage and administration of CBD to see how much it can mitigate the effects of the damage. And generally most of them have incorporated some sort of, you know, post damaging exercise exercise test to understand how well we can recover and perform. And also blood tests to understand how well the inflammatory response to exercise is being mitigated after people use CBD. And the findings have been a little bit inconsistent, but what we have seen in two of the studies at least is that the inflammatory response to um, the damaging exercise seems to be at least somewhat mitigated by CBD consumption. Um, The only challenge is that generally Kind of as you may expect based on the theme of where this show is going is the effect size hasn't been particularly large so um, when we look 24 hours or 48 hours post exercise we see virtually no difference in anti-inflammatory response um, whereas I think one study identified that after about three days we saw a reduction in in anti-inflammatory markers and a recovery of performance after CBD supplementation so again, That's an exciting finding, but I think the context here is that, you know, that one stands out a little bit within the three studies, um, but kind of leaves the door open for, I think, more investigation as to whether or not CBD could be used as a recovery aid if someone say needed to perform or mitigate muscle damage or the subjective feelings of muscle damage because, um, you know, an anti-pain effect might be important to an athlete there, depending on how they're using it, when they're using it and what their performance schedule looks like so i'd say that's that's maybe a concise summary of what we've seen so far but certainly more more to be done there
0: yeah i think here it's important to have a discussion around that this is something we have discussed before on this podcast in uh, re- in relation to recovery in general um the the correlation i guess or w- what the mechanisms behind training adaptations are and how inflammation is not always a bad thing so mm-hmm. Um, there have been some suggestions that uh, anti-inflammatory supplements or things like ice baths or and and the like that that do potentially reduce inflammation. Yes, they do that, but that could could also be at the expense of blunting training adaptation. So so there might be a time and place for them, which could be, for example, when you have a tight competition schedule and you need to recover really quickly from one day to the next to do repeated. Uh, matches or races or whatever it might be that is a bit less common in triathlon but in sports like cycling it might be more common so so there are certainly listeners on the podcast for whom that might apply but but i think it's important to note for listeners that reduced inflammation is not necessarily um always just only a good thing as as nice as it sounds on the tin
1: yeah i'm so i'm so glad you brought that up because that's something that i think is um I would say of the utmost importance to consider when you think about taking a supplement is the context in when you which you're using it. So um just to build on that, all these trials that I'm talking about are acute studies where they're doing it once rather than looking at a training program where they chronically administer CBD and how the response alters. But you couldn't be more right in that we don't necessarily always want to have an anti-inflammatory stimulus. It's not always a good thing. And I think you bring up the the point of ice baths um, is kind of a perfect analog for CBD in this context in that anytime you're thinking about um, applying CBD, CBD in this case, I would say given what we know about what it does, I would approach it the same way as an ice bath like you kind of just alluded to. So context is really, really important here
0: yeah yeah and then the final category of use cases that you discuss in the review is uh concussions and neuroprotection so um yeah that's not necessarily it's you you mentioned that as being very important for example in sports like rugby uh and uh yeah it's, it's not something that is super common in triathlon and endurance sports but still let's discuss that that one because it, it is uh, an interesting one as well
1: hmm. yeah i'm happy to and i'll i'll point out my collaborators' work in that um Area as well. Um, Dr. Graham Close and Andreas Casper, who did a trial that evaluated the use of CBD in rugby leagues, and they showed that there was a fairly high usage, and part of it was because of recovery sleep, but also consideration for neuroprotection. And the challenge there is that um, some of the evidence supporting the neuroprotection for or neuroprotective properties of CBD are when it was used prophylactically. So basically in a preventative measure, which isn't necessarily, um, I would say, how people suggest using CBD at this point. And it's almost perfect that it comes after the question where you talk about blunting trading adaptations, because um, as we kind of just alluded to, it might not be always wise to constantly be having anti-inflammatory signals. So while you may have some trade-offs in that there's potential to uh, provide a neuroprotective effect, we don't know what that does for training. Um, So some evidence to suggest that it may be beneficial from a safety perspective um, in concussion, but again, not exactly something that I would recommend at this point, given what evidence exists and the bigger context of how we need to consider um, how we're supporting athletes with nutrition and supplementation and so forth.
0: All right. Yeah. And uh, then a couple of general uh, follow-up questions on still on CBD. Uh, first, let's discuss the uh, consumption or application mode. So I was looking around at what the different products on the market are. And there are, uh, for example, you have drops or shots that you would consume orally, or you have transdermal oils and uh, lotions and things like that. So do we know anything about that, or can we maybe infer anything, what, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, so I will preface uh, my answer to this question by saying that I'm not a uh, a specialist in pharmacology by any means, so uh, I will apologize if there are any listeners who are, and I get something grossly incorrect, but um, I'm glad we bring it up regardless because there's a lot to consider in how you're consuming the CBD. And I think this kind of also gets to uh, just dosing in general. Um, but with respect to your question about methods, what a lot of consumers will see, at least in places where there's a legal cannabis market, is that you can get your CBD in, as you say, the form of you know drops or like an oil or a shot. You might be able to get uh, food of some sort or some sort of oral consumption of CBD, or you might be able to inhale it via cannabis that's high in CBD. So lots of different options. And they do seem to matter quite a bit as to how well the CBD gets into our bodies. Uh, with each method. And the hierarchy that generally seems to follow is that inhalation would be the best method to get CBD in, in terms of raising um, levels in the blood, followed by um, the shots or the oils that go through the oral mucosa in the mouth. And the least, or the, I guess maybe not the least, but the worst way to get CBD into your blood would be by eating it because it takes time. We have to digest it, we get metabolism by the liver. So, it seems like that's the working hierarchy for how available we can make CBD to our body. Um, but within that, you also have to consider the size of the dose within each um, method. So, for example, an oral ingestion, although it may not be the most bioavailable, might come in the largest dose. So, um, I would I would tell, I guess, or encourage viewers to keep both of those things in mind: both the size of dose and how um, how you're consuming. It
0: yeah yeah and then then you might even need to look at things like okay cost effectiveness so depending on the size needed that might change yeah how 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 much you're actually effectively paying for for one dose of a certain product versus versus another um but i and i think another thing to point out there and and that leads into the second follow up question that i had when you mentioned inhalation of a, a can, uh, of a high cbd containing cannabis then you would obviously also get um other cannabinoids in uh in the system which then would trigger a positive an anti-doping violation uh if you're tested uh so that's not something that is that you should do before competition anyway so um and and so that's one that's one risk depending on in with that form of of cbd consumption but and, and which leads us into that follow-up question what are the risks uh, of cbd supplementation uh, excluding anti-doping which we'll get into in more detail uh, right after this yeah i will
1: i would say the general risks of cbd consumption are fortunately for our case um, because of the popularity of it are actually fairly low so it seems like a fairly mild and well tolerated drug and Just again, to build on what you're saying, it's mild and well tolerated, particularly in the doses that would be available to consumers. So, another important caveat to look at with CBD dosing is, like I said before, how much you're getting in, but also consider what that dose is um, in the big picture. So, we'll see studies that use hundreds of milligrams of CBD, and that will be well tolerated. And then, consumer available doses will be in the tens. So, you know, five to 50, whatever it may be. so I would say that of all the things to be concerned about with CBD, with respect to safety, well, I obviously don't want to be liable for any issues that anyone has. It generally seems like a well-tolerated uh, uh, product, I guess, as a whole.
0: Yeah, got it. So then, as athletes uh, that compete, and that, that includes amateur athletes that are also subject to uh, what are anti-doping uh, policies when you enter an event that is sanctioned by a uh national federation or governing body uh we have to yeah we have to abide by those anti-doping rules and uh so a bit of background here uh cbd i think it was in 2018 when it was an exemption was made for cbd so it's no longer prohibited for in-competition use so can you tell us a bit more about um what was the reasoning behind that first of all why why is cannabis and other uh, and the cannabinoids therein prohibited and why is cbd not uh, anymore since 2018
1: mm-hmm. it's it's a very good question um and i think that uh just before i go into answering i think this question in particular is one that we will be revisiting as cannabis and cannabis related products become increasingly accepted in the coming years um but to answer your question directly i don't I won't pretend to be in the heads of WADA or to know exactly why they uh, permitted CBD for use, but I can certainly hypothesize as to why. Um, and what I, what I think is important context to understand why is to know why WADA bans substances in general. So some of your uh, listeners may be familiar with why, but generally they're because the product might be unsafe. It might impact performance or improve performance. And the final clause that they cite as to why some might be banned is because it might be against the spirit of sport. So with respect to why uh, cannabinoids on mass are generally not allowed with the exception of CBD, I think that probably has to do both a little bit with the fact that not a lot of research has been done with exercise and cannabinoids. So we don't fully understand how safe uh, their combined use is. And on top of that, it's an illicit substance, which I think is certainly grounds for WADA to say it's against the spirit of sport. Um, and again, maybe this is something we have to reevaluate as it's changing. Why CBD might be allowed, maybe because of the emerging evidence that it seems generally well tolerated by people. So there's a little bit less of a safety concern for many people. And again, it isn't, um, psychoactive, um, to the degree, at least to the degree C- THC is, which I alluded to earlier. And for that reason, I think it's kind of, um, in some ways been socially detached from the stigma associated with illicit drug use and that, you know, uh, cannabis is illegal in many places presumably because they think it's unsafe, but also because it can be a substance of abuse. Um, so once you remove that potential for it, you know, to have psychoactive effects, CBD all of a sudden is dissociated, perhaps a little bit less against the spirit of sport. Um, Again, I, I think that's kind of my opinion as to why it's probably not on the list. But I don't have the um, certainty to say that that is the reason.
0: Yeah, but I mean, I think that's a good answer, and that's my my understanding as well. And uh, I think most most of us probably don't don't need any more detailed answer answer than that. So so that's <laughs> uh, more than good enough. Um, uh, but then that uh, yeah, that, uh, another question then is. Since CBD is the only cannabinoid that is uh, allowed, that is not prohibited, are there any risks of CBD supplements containing trace amounts of the other cannabinoids? And I think here we, we also need to point out that um, THC can, is allowed in blood tests in a small amount, I believe, with a threshold value, but then all, any other cannabinoid of the more than 100, I think, that exists... Uh, there is a zero tolerance for them uh, in in anti doping tests. So, mm-hmm. so if there is if there is any risk of uh, of, uh, of of a supplement being contaminated with with other cannabinoids, then that's a potential potentially real big issue.
1: Yeah. No. I think. Uh... That's a great point. And it's certainly one that I, I didn't want to leave this podcast without emphasizing that although something might say it's CBD, there's certainly risks associated with it because so many related compounds that come from the same source that CBD does are in fact banned. So um, there's been not one, but multiple studies that have actually shown that many commercially available CBD project, products are actually mislabeled and contain inaccurate amounts of other cannabinoids. Um which certainly just, I think the, the take-home message there is that uh, in many jurisdictions, especially in those where cannabis or cannabis-based cannabis products might be unregulated, we don't necessarily have the best trust in all of our labels. And again, I would say for athletes in some places, I would say here in Canada, for example, where the market is tightly regulated, we can have a little bit more confidence in our labels. But as an athlete where it just takes one bad test or two bad tests to show um, a prohibited substance in your blood, you certainly have a lot at stake. So I would certainly consider, um, you know, whether or not the potentially small benefits of CBD outweigh the risk of triggering uh, somewhat related doping violation. And there's actually been a really nice study done, which I can uh, link to you after Michael, in case your readers are interested in finding it, but they actually tested individual, uh, CBD products. And what they showed was that most of the products actually had, um, had other cannabinoids in them that they didn't state. Uh, many of them were underlabeled. And actually, a large number of them would trigger an anti-doping violation. So I think um, that's an important thing to keep in mind in a decision that anyone should make, that you know, if you're in your purest form just interested in CBD, it may actually be difficult just to get that. So anti-doping risks are certainly, certainly uh, present, even if you, know, you think you're doing your best and doing your due diligence to check the product you're using
0: yeah yeah and again like it's worth pointing out that these things are the responsibility of the athlete to be Mm -hmm. aware of and to minimize risk so if uh, if you use a product and and you end up having to take a test and uh, you get a positive then just even if your product said that it only contains cbd then, then it's still the athlete's responsibility that's just how how these things work so that's why being careful and having knowledge about these things is important, which is um, a big reason for doing for doing this podcast. Um, then, yeah, one follow up question on that study that you mentioned: Do you uh, are you aware if any of those supplements uh, were informed sport uh, labeled? Do you do you think that that's something that I, I, I'm actually not aware if any of the CBD supplements on the market are informed sports labeled? But is that something that use uh, that that athletes could see as something that is and fairly safe to use um,
1: so i am actually not uh i don't want to speak broadly on all available cbd products because i don't i just i'm not sure enough if some of them are or aren't but i don't believe in that study they were necessarily informed sport labeled mm. right. um, i i will say though i don't know off the top of my head
0: yeah um if somebody uses, uh, whether it's uh, some sort of supplement or even just uh, other uh, cannabinoids, uh, what is the what do we know about the washout period required? Because, again, with the, the anti-doping rules, this is for in-competition use. So it's not as if somebody will show up at your door and test and you're using CBD and it contains some trace amounts of other cannabinoids that you will get a violation. It's, it's for in-competition testing, uh, which has a certain... A time period uh in and around the competition uh, but yeah what do we know about the washout periods required if uh, somebody wants to be really safe and and use some product and but then be sure to stop stop it early enough before a competition
1: yeah it, it's a great question again so i think um one thing to keep in mind with identifying washout periods for threshold tests is that it's going to be far from an exact science, and it's going to vary person to person. And some some important background information, too, is that cannabis itself contains over 100 different phytocannabinoids that are just unique to cannabis. Um, and as it stands, those are all illegal, except for CBD, as we've said. So the washout period is going to vary on each of those. I, don't, I won't pretend to know the washout period on each one, um, but I will point out Uh, perhaps one that's of most interest to many cannabis users itself is what the washout period for THC is. And THC um, itself is fat soluble. So it tends to stick around in the body for a while. Um, That being said, that one is a threshold substance. So um, trace amounts aren't so much a problem, but certain cannabinoids can be present um, on the timescale of days to weeks. So um, if you're an athlete that's in competition, considering using a CBD product, uh, in addition to the words of caution that I've shared up to this point, I would certainly say that, um, you know, timing is going to be a big one here. And if you want to be certain that you're not going to ha- run into any trouble, um, multiple weeks would definitely be needed for um, for me to have good confidence that, um, you know, no threshold substance or trace substance would be detected in an anti-doping test.
0: Right, yeah. Um, so so let's uh, start with some concluding questions perhaps then. First of all, what would your current recommendations be uh, considering uh, the evidence that we have discussed so far? Uh, are there certain scenarios where CBD supplementation could be worth it for athletes or worth a try? Or what, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I, I think at the moment, the overarching point should be that the jury is really still out on how beneficial CBD is. And I think if you're an athlete considering using CBD, what I would recommend to you is if at this point you think that the um, benefits would be really, really, really helpful for you, you know, assuming it's legal and accessible and safe and you're confident in what you're getting, maybe it's worth a try. That being said, I think in order for me to have any confidence in recommending a CBD product, I would want to see um, at least the scientific evidence evolve to a point where we can have, you know, placebo-controlled studies where we understand that the effects of CBD aren't just, you know, people getting excited about a product they're taking and then reporting a benefit. Um, So I I think for that reason, um, I would definitely exercise caution and some skepticism. And if you're an athlete who's, um, you know, competing at a level where anti-doping is of concern to you, then I would just say you have to exercise that much more caution and you should be that much more hesitant to try a CBD product. So, I don't want to be um, a complete skeptic here of CBD because I, I obviously uh, to some degree study it and I would like to, you know, understand if it is beneficial and definitely if it is beneficial, harness those benefits. At this point, I just don't know that there is enough to be really confident that we're going to be uh, having uh, the positives outweigh the potential risks if you're an athlete at this moment.
0: Yeah. And I think may, maybe maybe that answer renders the following question redundant. But um, uh, let's try anyway. Do you if if somebody if an athlete wants to try CBD products, do you have any thoughts, uh, any considerations around what to consider when choosing the specific product or specific uh, supplements that people should keep in mind? Yep,
1: I I uh, I definitely can. I, I mean, I know I just kind of put a rain cloud over some CBD products, certainly, but I would consider dosage. So, uh, you know, if you are an athlete looking for a product and interested in having some sort of effect, I would at least uh, do some basic things like consider the, you know, the dose in the product that you're getting. Um, I actually was, uh, I mean, living in Canada, you can see in the stores um, at products being advertised. And I heard of a, you know, for example, a CBD drink product that had five milligrams of CBD in it. And you think to yourself, okay, if the studies that show potential benefits with muscle function or pain are using hundreds, then, you know, that product might not be worth your time. So again, while we're being careful about, you know, what we're consuming here, um, I would certainly consider things like that, because there's a good chance that, um, you know, if there are any benefits of CBD, we actually need to have the appropriate products and doses to see them. Um, So I would just consider, you know, are you being over marketed as an athlete? Because that's at the end of the day, what all the CBD companies are interested is obviously selling their product. Um, So I would say when choosing, definitely you want a regulated source so that you can know as best as you can, what's in it. If you are going to use it, I would really critically evaluate, you know, what is the cost benefit ratio for me? Um, You know, am I lacking in areas that CBD could help or am I kind of okay in them looking for optimal benefit? that kind of factors into your decision all these things that we've talked about today i think are just important to keep in mind
0: yeah and uh, then move, moving on perhaps moving on from a cbd and cannabis uh, what what are some specific things that you're working on currently do you have any uh, any research ongoing that you would like to share about just let listeners know what you're up to
1: I would be happy to. I think uh, I'm certainly biased, but I am very excited about <laughs> the the research that I'm choosing to do. Um, so, our one of the things that our lab really wants to do in the field of cannabis and exercise is really get around some of the really important knowledge gaps that we think exist that are really barring the field from moving forward. And what that really is is understanding how cannabis and cannabinoids themselves really affect just the basic fundamental responses to exercise. So. Uh, in our lab right now, we're working on wrapping up a project that's looking at how uh, cannabis consumed by different inhalation methods and how cannabis with different balances of cannabinoids impact our cardiovascular function, our, um, our responses to exercise. So how well can we you know, match a given work demand? And also we want to understand how actual performance is impacted. So. Our goal is to have some of these studies wrapped up so that we can really have something build up to build off to say, you know, uh, we have some good evidence in a good, uh, or what I hope is considered a well-respected exercise lab that understands, you know, uh, or did an accurate performance test to see what those effects are. Did they do valid measures of cardiovascular uh, function and health? What are the effects of cannabis there? And then that way we have at least a starting point where we can understand how, um, you know these drugs should be considered by use by athletes and also just the uh, general public too. At that,
0: yeah, uh, that's that's really great. Great to hear that you're working on on some providing some solid uh, solid evidence for the mechanisms uh, behind it. And uh, then let's move on to the rapid fire questions. So take just one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is: What's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports?
1: I'm guessing someone's probably said this, but I love the book Endure by Alex Hutchinson. Um, that's probably my favorite one book if I had to pick one.
0: It's among many hundreds of interviews. It's the most popular answer to this question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised. For, for, for good reason. Yeah. Uh, what's an important habit that you've benefited from athletically, professionally, or personally?
1: Um, I will say for this one is consistency. And, uh, one thing that often is forgotten a lot of professions and with training is taking care of yourself. Too. I think that's very important for long-term success.
0: Yeah, and who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you?
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you asked this. My answer is always to this, always the same to this question. But uh, I was very fortunately fortunate to be um, spending a lot of time with my grandpa as a kid, and he himself was an engineer, often running science experiments for me as a little child. Um, and now I, I'm always happy to share that you know with him I became an actual scientist. So that is. 100% the role model for me.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, finally, where can people follow you? Uh, Twitter, ResearchGate, any other uh, website or, or so on? Anything that you want to mention?
1: Yeah, so all, all of the above is generally the answer. So um, I, I'm on Twitter. I try to be active. Um, I keep an updated Google Scholar, LinkedIn, and ResearchGate. And then I'll also share that a lot of the work that I do is not really possible without the working group I work within, um, so our lab actually has a website that we've recently overhauled, and I will share that because uh I think you know again, it wouldn't be possible without a group. so anyone who's interested in our work can google uh human Performance Lab University of Guelph uh if they're interested in the work we're doing,
0: yeah, yeah, and if if there are any aspiring triathletes and exercise scientists i hear that guelph is a great place to uh to train as a triathlete but then perhaps also combine that with uh, with doing a degree in in exercise science (laughs) yeah
1: (laughs) i will certainly recommend it that's uh it's a big part of the reason i'm here myself so
0: yeah fantastic uh okay thank you so much christian it's uh, been great to chat to you thank you for sharing all this information great thank you very much I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. And uh, I'll put all a lot of papers in there that we discussed and maybe a couple that we didn't discuss that are on this very topic, uh, as well as uh, Christian's profiles that we mentioned. And uh, next, I just want to uh, give you a quick reminder about our training camps, uh, our Mallorca training camp at the end of March of 2023 is our flagship event. It's a fairly big camp with lots of athletes and coaches. It's open for a wide range of abilities. We will be in the northern part of Mallorca with lots of famous climbs in a great hotel focused on triathletes and cyclists. It's a good time. Uh, you should come uh, check it out on scientifictriathlon.com and register if you're interested or send me an email if you have questions. And then we have our January training camp in the Algarve in Portugal, which is a bit more chop wood, carry water, and a smaller camp with 15 advanced athletes looking to build a really serious foundation for the year of racing ahead. Uh, So check that out if you think that that sounds like you. And again, email me if you have any questions. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free fuel and hydration planner to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs and get a specific and effective race strategy and book a free video consultation with the team if you want to refine it further. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to sen Use the sen swim trainer to improve your technique, power, stamina and most importantly your swim training consistency. Get 20% off your order on the swim trainer with the promo code that you can get on zanayswimtrainer.com forward slash TTS. And don't forget that it's a risk-free investment. If you don't love it after two weeks, send it back and you'll get a full refund. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving craft